Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 16th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The British government faces a vote of no confidence this evening. It follows MPs' momentous and historic rejection of uh, the Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit deal. Labour launched the bid to trigger a general election after the deal setting out the terms of Britain's exit from the EU was rejected by 432 votes to 202. A defeat of 230 votes, the biggest defeat since 1924 when the then Labour government lost a vote by a mere 166 votes. There is little scope for the Labour motion to succeed, however. Northern Ireland's DUP and Tory rebels say they will back the Prime Minister. The competence vote is expected to be held at about 7 o'clock this evening. Mrs May has told MPs she'll return to the Commons with an alternative plan next week, provided she survives the competence vote. The Irish government has responded by saying last night's vote has increased the risk of a disorderly Brexit. The government regrets the decision of MPs and is calling on the UK to set out how it proposes to move forward. Let's hear more on the Irish position now with the Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee. Good morning, Minister, and thank you indeed for joining us. Assuming the Prime Minister does survive this vote of confidence, what do you hope to hear from her next week? Good morning, Michael. Um, well, I suppose firstly just to say, and, and I know obviously the Irish government as a whole has issued a statement, but personally I'm, I'm disappointed that the vote didn't pass last night and obviously um, that it was defeated by such an overall majority. What it clearly says to us, and, and I think there are some suggesting this morning that it is because of the Irish position, it is because of the Irish backstop that this agreement has failed. However, what has become even clearer now because of the large defeat that there is still not a majority for the kind of uh, Brexit that people want. We we don't know what it is that the UK wants yet. So what we need to see happen now, and as you've rightly said, there's a vote of no confidence. We expect that that will be um, defeated, that the Prime Minister will still be Prime Minister tomorrow. And what she needs to do is what she has said last night in her statement that she will do. She needs to engage with all of Parliament. She needs to make sure that when she brings forward her Plan B, whatever that might be, that it has the full support of Parliament because if that is not the case, if she brings forward uh, the next steps on Monday, it is defeated and there's, there's not a consensus. 
we then have a situation where Dominic Grieve's amendment will kick in. This was before Christmas, which was uh, approved by Parliament, where parliamentarians themselves will be able to put forward motions for the Speaker of the House. And, and we spoke about this, myself and yourself, last mm-hmm. week. We'll then pick those top motions and then you have a situation where Parliament is then deciding and where we don't know if there will be an overall majority. So we need the Prime Minister to engage with all parties, with all members of the House. We need her to come to a consensus and we need to make sure that when she brings this forward on Monday that there is an agreement. Otherwise, we're facing further uncertainty next week. We're facing votes that might not pass. And then again, time is getting closer to the 29th of March and obviously that means closer to an, a disorderly Brexit. Disorder. Would, 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 would you agree, Minister, that there's three possibilities at least uh, that the Prime Minister could put to MPs next week? One is the same deal without the backstop uh, which, as you say, was predominantly the reason it was rejected by such a large majority last night. The second possibility is a border poll which might uh, do away with the need for a backstop and the third is uh, to crash out without a deal and return to uh, WTO rules. Well, no, I, I wouldn't agree that any of those are, are the next options. And, and actually what I said is that I think it's clear from last night's majority at defeat that the backstop was not the only reason. There were people who voted for it because they felt the deal didn't bring them close enough to Europe. There were people who felt it was too close to Europe. There were many different reasons. So I think if it had been defeated by 20 or 30 or 40 mm. votes, you could credibly say that it was the backstop and that could be something that she would be looking at. But she was very clear again in her statement and has been throughout this, the backstop is needed. It's part of the withdrawal agreement. So I think what we're more likely to possibly see Mm. um, is a request for an extension of Article 50. Um, Again, the only way that that would happen, and and it's not something we would not stand uh, in the Prime Minister's way if she were to seek that, but there needs hmm. to be a plan in place. We can't well, it wouldn't be needed, though. That's the point. There would be no need for a backstop in a United Ireland scenario. This is not something that we are getting into. And again, the Prime Minister has absolutely never indicated that she would even move in that direction. But it's true, we, isn't it? We as an Irish government have never said hmm. that this is something that we want to do. So no, it, it's not on the cards. Not well, on the cards for us. And not, it's not, not on the, the cards, cards but the it, it would solve the dilemma, wouldn't it? Again, this is not the scenario that we are in at the moment. I think it would be unhelpful to start talking about a border poll. I think it would actually Mm. make things even more difficult. And we've seen in the past few weeks and months where this suggestion has been raised by Sinn Féin, it has actually made uh, things more difficult in terms of parties in the north, but also the discussions that have happened in Mm. Westminster. So I don't think that that's a proposal the Prime Minister will come forward with. I don't think it's a proposal she should. What I think the most likely outcome, or, or one of them, again, we can't predict what will happen, is that she might, on the basis of the, the, I suppose, what we've heard in the House of Commons this week and what people have been looking for, is an extension of Article 50. But there's no point in looking for an extension of Article 50 mm. if the Prime Minister were to carry along in the way that she has okay. and to essentially see a similar vote defeated in two or three or four months. Okay, Minister, is it true to say that the reason the backstop is required is because Northern Ireland is a part of the United Kingdom and there would be no need for a backstop if Northern Ireland was part of a 32-county All-Ireland? Well, I think that's absolutely clear. If Northern Ireland was part of the rest of Ireland, mm. there wouldn't be, but that is not the case. Okay, so that's, and that that's is not, solution. but I mean, you're, you're, you're stating mm. a yeah. fact, absolutely, of mm. course, if it mm. was an all-Ireland, but it's not. 
And mm. I don't think it's helpful to start talking about that because it doesn't actually help us get to where we need to be. Maybe um, maybe not helpful in diplomatic terms, but possibly helpful in terms of people understanding why this is being rejected and why it's hit such a brick wall. Uh, Now, the complete opposite argument is uh, that we forget about the backstop, that there is no need for a backstop because a trade deal can be agreed in the two to four year period following the withdrawal. Again, this is not something that I or this government agrees with. It's not something that the European Parliament agrees with or the Commission. And again, it's Mm. not something actually that the UK agrees with. Um, There have been continuous statements from the Prime Minister, but also from members of her Parliament saying that we need um, a backstop. We need to ensure that we prevent Mm. any kind of a border re-emerging on the island of Ireland. But it's an insurance policy. It's an an insurance policy so that there will be a, a trade agreement in a couple of years or four years, maybe less than that, God knows. But but th- if there was trust to such a, an extent that we didn't need an insurance policy, in other words, if we didn't need the backstop, if we didn't insist on the backstop, it would be possible for Brexit to happen without all of this controversy, wouldn't it? Well, the reason that we have a backstop, and, and we're very clear on this, the reason that the backstop is there is because the UK have put forward a number of red lines. They have said that they will leave the single market and the customs union. And to us as a government, and indeed the 27 other member states who we've mm. negotiated with, we do not see at the moment how it is possible to avoid a border where you don't have that regulatory alignment, where you don't have both sides but, being part but, of the same single but market. On the, but customs. on the other hand, Minister, and I am sorry to cut across you, on the other hand, you're saying you hope you'll never use the backstop. It's just an insurance policy. If the trust was there, and if you really believed we would never need the backstop, well, then there would be no need for it to be part of the withdrawal agreement. Isn't that correct? I don't think anybody is suggesting that we want the withdrawal agreement and the backstop in it to be the future relationship. Mm. But we have to have, it, words are not enough. And, and, you know, I don't mind saying that. And we have said that all along. And the Prime Minister has agreed with us again, as have mem- many of her members of Parliament. You can't have a legally binding document and a withdrawal agreement um, that does not ensure that our interests are protected, that the peace project, which is a uh, an agreement which was mm. signed again by the British Parliament, our own by the parties in Northern Ireland, that that is not protected. And those and priorities were set out yeah, very early on at the very beginning of this. And process. that's reasonable. And the counter-argument from the DUP, for example, is, well, you end up tying us indefinitely to the Republic. So the point that we need to get to, and, mm. and again, I think this is why... It's frustrating after two and a half years. Mm. We now have a deal that has been rejected um, and we still don't have clarity. In order to get to that point that the DUP say they want to be in, that we have a future relationship that resolves these issues, we have to have a withdrawal agreement. There has to be a legal document which outlines how the UK will leave in an orderly manner. And obviously we identified from the very beginning, and this was agreed by everybody, what issues should be part of that legally binding mm. document, the citizens' rights being one, the financial settlement being the other, and the Irish backstop being the third. And there has been full agreement from all sides throughout this that the Irish backstop should be part of it. But now we're starting to hear suggestions that there could be a Canada model, a Norway mm. plus, a Norway, whatever it is we're talking about. In order to actually get to that point, you still, no matter what is in it, have to agree the withdrawal mm. agreement. And all sides 
throughout this entire process have said there must be a backstop to make sure that the Good Friday Agreement is protected, that the peace process, most importantly, is mm. protected and that there's no re-emergence of any kind of a border. So, I mean, in terms of the withdrawal agreement, that will not change. And, I, and I, you know, again, I said this last week before Christmas, it has been agreed. The Prime Minister has had two years throughout those negotiations to engage with her own parliament to make sure that when it came to this point, people were happy. And, and, and what we saw last night is that people are far from happy. In fact, there is still as much uncertainty last night as there was two and a half years ago when this vote mm. was initially called and when people voted on it. So we need to see clarity. We and need the Prime Minister to bring mm-hmm. forward a proposal and we need to know what direction this is moving very well, quickly. What's your gut instinct uh, this morning, Minister, after two and a half years of what has been failed negotiations? Uh, uh, and what I mean by that is uh, the extent of uh, the defeat last night. Uh, I mean, it was thoroughly rejected, the deal, the draft deal that was uh, agreed between uh, the UK government and Europe uh, is just totally rejected. But after two and a half years of negotiation uh, and those negotiations failing to that extent and 10 weeks left before Britain is due to exit the European Union, do you think there's any merit in giving them any more time to come up with a solution? Well, I mean, my preference is that we don't have a crash ice on the 29th of March if what is required is an extension of time. As I said, we, we certainly will not stand in their way. However, if it means that we come back in three months' time mm. and the Minister has not engaged in a different way or has not listened to the concerns that were clearly outlined last night, then there's no point in doing that. So, mm. you know, we need to make sure that whatever the Prime Minister outlines next Monday, whether it's before Monday, but most likely on Monday, is that it sets out a path as to what it is she needs to do, wants to do, has to do, to get us to where we want to be. I is mean, that I, possible? I, I mean, uh, that's that's what my question is. Do you, I, I do, 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 possible, do you believe yeah. it is possible for the Prime Minister to find a, a way and please all of the people all of the time? Well, I, I think the one thing with politics is that you often have to come to an agreement where both sides um, have compromised. And I think what she needs to be able to do now is to engage. She needs to be able to find the common ground. She needs to be able to get an agreement and unfortunately I don't think you're going to keep everybody happy in the overall outcome. I don't think it's possible when you have such a close vote, when you have 52% vote in one way, 48 the other and um, it's a very difficult negotiation however if there is not a consensus at the very end of this what we end up is with nobody being happy you end up with the UK crashing out you end up with an economy being impacted uh, in a hugely negative way and not just their own but the rest of the EU being impacted as well, uh, and you end up with a relationship that has to be rebuilt uh, on very different and difficult terms. So I think politics needs to kick in here. Politics exists so that where there are differences of agreement or differences of opinion, that we can come together and find a solution. And this is what has to happen. This is unfortunately we, we've we've come to a point where we, you know, that the, the British Prime Minister hasn't been able to reach that consensus. But I think she needs to be able to find that place now. Um, but obviously, at the mm. same time, you know, we are continuing to plan. We are continuing to, okay. to focus on the fact that this might not happen, that our unintended consequence of, of no agreement being reached is that there is a no-deal scenario and, and we need mm. to be as prepared as possible for that. And Shane Ross appeared to be spelling out what that might mean, that trucks will be stopped at the border and so on uh, when he gave that press conference yesterday. Uh, if uh, you were relying on medication, Minister, uh, 
that may be impacted uh, and not uh, available as readily as it is now in a no-deal scenario, uh, would it be a good idea to start stocking up? Absolutely not. And, and just to touch on those two issues, firstly, in terms of medicines, the, the Minister for Health was very clear in saying last night not to stock up. So whether you're an individual pharmacist or a person who has their own medicines that they um, buy, by stockpiling, you're actually only adding to the possible problem of there being a shortage. We have two scenarios at the moment. We have the fact that 60 to 70 percent of our medicines come through or from the UK. Um, we know that there are a certain amounts that are at risk in that they might have a short time or a lifespan. They might um, be for people or a few, small number of people who need them. They might be quite specific. So there is, at any given time, Brexit or no Brexit, um, there are challenges in terms of making sure that all medicines arrive on time and that they arrive safely. We have between four to 12 weeks of um, a stockpile of drugs um, or medicines that people need anyway. Um, So that will be in place irrespective of what happens on the 29th of March. But for those at-risk drugs, there is a framework that is in place irrespective of Brexit that has been worked on to deal with a no-deal scenario and obviously the likes of the HSB, the HPRA, mm. um, all of these, the Department of Health have been working together. In terms of the comments last night from Minister Ross, the, the Conister was very clear uh, in saying that in a no-deal scenario, we are not going to be looking at reintroducing a border, but what will happen uh, is the closer we get to that, where it looks as though this is the only outcome likely, we're going to have some very difficult conversations with the Commission, with the UK government, with our own government, as to what happens next. And obviously, it's very difficult to see how, other than using the backs up, we can avoid that. But that is something that we would have to deal with. Okay, huge challenges ahead. Minister, thank you indeed for joining us here this morning. That's the Minister for European Affairs and Local TD, Helen McEntee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Incidentally, the Irish tabloids are more or less a Brexit zone. You have to look inside uh, those papers uh, for coverage of that historic vote last night. Other papers here, the Irish edition of uh, The Times has as its lead story, May suffers historic defeat. The Irish examiner, Eve of Destruction, humiliation for May after biggest defeat in the Commons. Carnage as UK heads towards no deal, exit 10 weeks from now. Johnson, the deal is dead. Defeat, a massive mandate for renegotiation. Juncker rejected deal is the only way to ensure orderly withdrawal and Ireland plans for worst case scenario. Just some of the bullet points on that lead story. The Irish Independent border checks on trade to follow no deal Coveney and the Irish Times may faces no confidence vote after historic Commons defeat on Brexit. The eyes to the right 202 the nose to the left 432. Meanwhile, following that vote, there's wall-to-wall coverage in the British papers. The Guardian, May suffers historic defeat as Tories turn against her. The Financial Times, May's Brexit deal crushed by Commons. The Metro, worst defeat ever. The Daily Telegraph, a complete humiliation. May suffers worst defeat on record as Brexit deal turns to dust. Labour calls no confidence vote, but PM says she will battle on. Number 10 refuses to rule out delaying exit with EU prepared for new talks. The Sun, May's Brexit deal dead as a dodo. Brexit is the headline there. And Mrs May is featured with her face superimposed onto the body of 
of a dodo. The Times in London. May suffers historic defeat. MPs demand delay to Brexit as Commons crushes PM's deal. Labour raises pressure with vote of no confidence. Fighting for her life is the headline of the Daily Mail, which reports on a Brexit vote bombshell. May's deal crushed in biggest ever defeat. She faces no confidence vote today. Cabinet split over her plan to work with Labour. EU dares Britain to cancel Brexit. The Daily Mirror. No deal. No hope. No clue. No confidence. Most humiliating Commons defeat in history as PM kills off May's deal. And the Daily Express says dismay. She valiantly fought for her deal but suffered a crushing defeat by 230 votes. The nation is crying out for unity but all Jeremy Corbyn wants is to oust the Prime Minister. Now it's time for MPs to do their duty and work with Theresa May for a deal that satisfies the one, the 17.4 million who voted Brexit. Don't fail us, says the Express. There are the front pages of the British newspapers this morning. Wednesday morning means that the local newspapers are out and let's find out what's on the front pages of the papers in Louth and Mead. Marie Kearns is here with some of them and you'll start in County Mead with the Chronicle. That's right, Michael. A story about a local dumps plan to take 440,000 tonnes of waste a year is the lead story of the Meads Chronicle today, which reports that proposals for a massive 400% increase in intake at the Knockarley landfill site in Kentstown, as well as the acceptance of hazardous waste, has sparked an angry reaction locally. So plenty on that story. Meanwhile, meanwhile, if you've an interest in politics and the upcoming local elections, there's plenty of info on page 14 in the Mead Chronicle on the new candidates that are throwing their hat in the proverbial ring, Michael. OK, and housing, dominating uh, both uh, or at least two of the papers right. in Dundalk. That's right, the Dundalk Democrat and the Argus are leading with the same story this week, that of Catherine Kavanagh, who faced eviction from her home in Farndreg on Monday by housing body Cluid. Writing for the Argus, Olivia Ryan reports that Catherine received notice that she would have to hand over the keys of her property, which had been her home for the past 14 years. But her family say that as she has learning difficulties, she should have had an advocate to help her in any communication with Cluid about her home. In his jury in the Democrat, Darnard McCabe reports that Catherine has been evicted for owing back rent of €1,000 and her brother was willing to help her pay the arrears and that an appeal is being lodged against the eviction. All right, and uh, the Dundalk leader then, uh, that's leading with a hit and run accident. That's right, struck by car and deliberate attack is the headline on the front page of the Dundalk leader which reports the Guardian are investigating a hit and run which occurred on the Dublin Road in Dundalk at approximately 10.20am on Monday morning. According to the paper, onlookers watched in shock as a black hatchback car mount the footpath at speed towards a male in his 20s who was trying to run away from the vehicle. The car struck the man before driving away from the scene at speed. Also on the front page of The Leader is a story about Dundalk filmmaker Ashley Clark, who will introduce her debut feature film The Devil's Doorway at Anton Arts Centre on January 29th. Ashling, who hails from Vatima, is a former pupil of Gail Skull, Dungalgan and Colosh Therese and her debut film according to the paper, has already been very well received by critics around the world. So I'm sure there'll be lots of interest in that one. OK, and policing making for the lead of uh, the Drogheda Independent That's this right, week. Michael. That's, uh, that story is about the opening of the new Garda Divisional Protective uh, Services Unit, will be, which will be based in Castle Bellingham. A team of 10 Garda and two detective sergeants are to be based at the unit, according to the Drogheda Independent, and their work will focus on the sexual crime, human trafficking, 
child abuse and domestic abuse, as well as the provision of support for vulnerable victims of crime. The new service comes as a Drogheda woman spoke to the Drogheda Independent this week about over 20 years of psychological abuse within her marriage. And that really is a powerful read inside the paper. OK, thanks for that, uh, Marie. And you'll be back in with us in a, a few minutes' time as well with any comments that come to us uh, this morning. And uh, I say that because people might want to comment on some of those stories that they've been hearing about or reading themselves, for that matter, in the local papers uh, this week, something else they've been hearing this morning. Or if there's a, an issue that you would like to raise with us, as always, we would love to hear from you. And our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Let's continue with... Uh, Brexit and uh, that massive Commons uh, defeat uh, for Theresa May's deal with uh, the European Union on uh, withdrawal agreement. Brendan Smith is chair of the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Foreign Affairs, Trade and Defence, TD, and Kevin Monaghan, and joins us now. Good morning to you, and uh, thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. Theresa May morning, has Michael. Theresa May has said uh, that uh, this makes Brexit less possible, uh, but if Brexit is to go ahead, I'd like to ask you the same question I was asking Minister Helen McEntee a few moments ago. Does that mean uh, that they may crash out of the European Union or are there other options? Uh, One of them being uh, that uh, she could possibly negotiate a a deal without the backstop or that there could be a border poll which would take away the need for a backstop? Well, a proposed deal by the British government out of backstop would not be acceptable to Ireland, and I don't think it would be acceptable to the other 26 members of the European Union either. I think the European Union have given a firm commitment that the backstop is an essential part of the withdrawal agreement, and it has to remain in place. Um, We would sincerely hope that Britain does not leave the European Union without a deal. It crashes out of the European Union means then that we have no transition period in relation to adjustment in, in relation to trade and future, future trading relationships. It would be absolutely disastrous for this country. I believe it would be very bad for Britain and it would be bad for Europe. Will it ever be necessary? Which backstop? Yeah. Hmm. Well, we, well, first of all, if there's a withdrawal agreement that, that's workable, if the withdrawal agreement as proposed at present can be implemented and approved by the British government and by the British Parliament, if, if that can be achieved, and I recognise that mm. the Prime Minister may have serious difficulties within our own government, within our own party, within Parliament in general, in Westminster. But what we would like to see, obviously, is a good trading arrangement between mm. the European Union and Britain and um, a transition period to, to allow that those new arrangements come into place and you would sincerely hope that you would never have to rely on but the backstop. But if, if the, the future relations... Absolutely essential insurance policy for all of our islands. So will it be necessary if the future relations agreement doesn't mean a good trading relationship, will it be necessary to implement the backstop? It would be necessary to implement the backstop if we don't have a, a, a trading agreement between Europe... Which would defy the Union. I mean, the DUP are correct in their argument, aren't they? No, they're not correct in their argument. The, the reality well, is... Well, it would defy the Union, wouldn't the it? Best, ...best options to Northern Ireland. All of us are interested in protecting the gains that have been made in relation to the growth of trade on a north-south mm. basis and on an east West basis. But would it not mean nobody. if the backstop the progress that has been made over the last two decades in particular. But if the backstop was to be implemented it would mean that Northern Ireland would leave the European Union on a different basis than the rest of the United Kingdom, therefore dividing 
the union. Is that not correct? Yeah, but the backstop consists of a single customs territory between Britain and and um, between Britain and the European Union. What we want to see is is a tra- an agreement between Britain and Europe. Then maybe a transition period is necessary before the new trading arrangement would come into place. Mm. And you would hope that there would be no need to actually activate the backstop. Yes. But if that sequence is not followed mm. successfully, it then the would divide is the necessary. union. It would divide the union. No, no. It's, it's, the reality is that that this is agreed. Um, this is proposed by the European Union. It has been adopted by the twenty-eight, by the twenty-seven member states plus mm. Mrs. May's mm. government. Prime Minister May has stated consistently, to be fair to her, that she agrees with the backstop proposal. I, I, it's a certain element within her party. I, I, I'm sure you're dealing with the real world that are opposing the backstop I, I, proposal. I, 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 I'm sure you're aware that the defeat last night has never. Uh, been as big in Westminster uh, that the closest ever was in 1924 when uh, the defeat was 166 votes or something like that. Uh, I mean, this is unprecedented. This this deal has been rejected out of hand. Yeah, but no, but there were so many different strands and ingredients to that defeat. You have actually people who are voting against Mrs. Prime Minister May's proposals in Parliament yesterday, who are totally in favour of Britain remaining in the European Union. There was a a whole um, confluence of different ingredients and different elements and different strands of opposition to Mm. to Prime Minister May. Some of it internal politics within the Conservative Party as well. Some of it internal politics within the other political parties represented in Westminster as well. But I, the Prime Minister stated that she would meet up with senior parliamentarians, whether yeah. that's chairs of parliamentary committees or whatever, to see how they can advance some, some new proposal to put to the European Union. But the, I think the town has just been clear, as, as has the President of the European Union, that the withdrawal agreement is, is not up for renegotiation. Mm. Now, you hear some of the senior British parliamentarians talk about maybe they should be going the Norway deal, the Norway option or some other trading arrangement that those proposals would be put forward. Or maybe remaining. I mean, you hear people saying that to remain in the European Union would be to reject the will of the people. But the argument is, is that when the people were voting on Brexit, they didn't know what the implications might be. Now, there's much better awareness and perhaps they should be given the opportunity uh, that the democratic thing to do, in fact, is to give them the opportunity to vote on the consequences of this. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. It's up to the Westminster Parliament whether they, they legislate to put another referendum before the people. The one thing that I would be conscious of, and you, you, you allude to it very clearly, is the diet of lies that was fed out by, by the Brexiteers in advance of that referendum. We can all still picture the buses going around with the 350 million extra per mm. week for the National Health Service, all of this nonsense. They, they never made an effort to get the, the whole facts and a comprehensive um, analysis of Brexit across to the people. But the people made their decision. Now, I have quite a number of, of, of um, what I would call friends, members of Parliament, from different parties in Westminster that I know over the years, as having chaired the British Irish Parliamentary Body in the past, and, and as a member of it now, I have to say that some of th- those people that I have spoken to in recent times and who were totally against Britain, even the European Union, 
they would have their fears in regard to a second referendum that it might not come up with the result that they would like to remain. So I don't know. That's a matter matter for the for the British political system. Mm. But I I just wouldn't be maybe as confident as other people that if there was another referendum that the decision would be different. I don't okay. know. So, so it we're, would depend we're, on the the political synergy, the political atmosphere, the, the what parties, mm. what line they took. But Mr. Corbyn who is the alternative Mm. prime Mm. minister, um, he has not indicated that he's in favour of another referendum. Okay, so let me give you uh, a number of possible solutions to this, if there are any at all. Uh, Three of them being uh, popular polls, one a a general election, a British general election, uh, another being an Irish border poll, uh, another being a second referendum on Brexit, uh, and then uh, aside from those uh, votes, uh, perhaps uh, a, a nuanced uh, version of uh, the existing deal, which was rejected last night. Uh, do you see a solution in any of them? Well, I would see if, if Prime Minister May can can bring Parliament with her, and that would be obviously having to get substantial support from the opposition parties, if she can put some nuanced um, deal of what is already agreed with the European Union. But the European Union have been clear that they are not going to reopen the, the withdrawal agreement, mm. whether it can be nuanced, some finer details, some other measures that Mrs May will be going back seeking some clarifications or assurances if she can get that through Parliament. Uh, once it wouldn't take substantially away from the agreement at the present time, that would obviously be the best option. Naturally, I would love to see the, um, the British people have another referendum and if they voted to stay that would be our optimum position we would prefer them to, to remain in the European Union I think realistically there's a political calendar The 29th, we are now at the 16th of January in the middle of, of January you have the, to the end of March is the agreed date at the present time I don't think there would be a difficulty at heads of government level in extending that that particular deadline. I don't know, but there there are there there is there, there is a political calendar there that has to be respected, and those requirements met as well. Mm, well, there's the United Kingdom has to options for the British. The United Kingdom has to make a, a an acceptable proposal by the 21st of this month if it's to happen by the 29th of March. So at this yes. stage, we're looking at them either crashing out or doing something dramatic on Monday, perhaps. But I uh, think Michael. Crashing out, and I think we need mm. very clearly to get that message across to all the people of all of our island, our 32 counties, that it would do immense damage to our economy. And one thing I suppose all of us have not factored enough into our thinking about political and economic development in this island is the huge growth in interdependence on a north-south basis and on an east-west basis since the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. You take so many companies in Mead, Loud, Cavan, Monaghan, um, our Mahan and our neighbouring counties north of the border and county down as well. A lot of our companies, thankfully, have become all Ireland businesses and enterprises. There's a huge interdependence on business and commerce on a north-south basis. If we are not in the same regulatory regimes, if we, ha- if we have tariffs or quotes to that, that would do immense damage to our basic business model that we have in our country today and that thankfully despite huge economic challenges that all Ireland economic development has continued and I I would love to see it continuing at a greater pace but we should never um, underestimate the, the, the huge developments that there have been in business and commerce on an all Ireland basis facilitated 
by the, by the Good Friday Agreement, with that new political atmosphere that came about as a result of the signing of the Good Friday Agreement back in April 1998 and its endorsement and referendum North and South mm. in May 1998. So anything that disrupts our present modus operandi, the way we go about our business today, will be a negative for all of our island. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment uh, on that negative uh, and indeed worrying note. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll be uh, hearing some good news over the course of uh, the next week uh, and indeed there are many, many uh, options uh, that MPs in uh, Westminster are looking at. Uh, the first of them to be debated today, which is that voter of confidence which could trigger a general election. The expectation is that that won't happen. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Brendan Smith, Chair of the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Foreign Affairs, Trade and Defence and Afina Fall TD for Kevin Monaghan. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning again, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Uh, we got a text in uh, to, which reads as follows. After Theresa May's humiliation defeat in the UK Parliament last night, I'm surprised that she is still Prime Minister of the UK. The deal she put on the table was a failed deal. So, um, to the UK. So, if Theresa May is going to continue to be the UK's negotiator, maybe the price the UK will have to pay for complete and successful Brexit from the EU is a united Ireland. Maybe so. Oh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I thought we were going to say uh, the head of the Prime Minister. Yeah, uh, and it's quite possible that Theresa May will be gone by the end of uh, the day because uh, she's uh, facing a, a no confidence vote and that will trigger a general election. But I, I think, despite the huge defeat yesterday, uh, that uh, defeat of 230 votes. It's an incredible mm. uh, humiliation for any Prime Minister that she will survive, her government will survive and uh, that they will receive uh, the support of uh, the majority of MPs, including the 10 DUP MPs. On that talk of United Ireland, John from Lucan was listening to Helen McEntee when you posed that question mm. to her. And he said he was surprised that it doesn't appear to be our current government's aspiration for a United Ireland. It doesn't even seem to be on their radar. My big fear is that they are going to bow to the DUP. Every blue shirt government we've ever had has done so. The DUP is causing havoc and we have our history of bowing to them. What is the big fear, Michael, of saying that a United Ireland could be a solution? I grew up in the border area and I know Protestant people who would have no, who would have no worry with a united Ireland because at the moment all they're worrying about is how their business is going to survive if the UK crashes out of the EU without a deal. In fairness, Europe is standing behind us on the border, but I'm just wondering where Fine Gael is at in relation to a united Ireland. Okay, well, uh, I think at this stage the fear is all out war and Fine Gael uh, says it uh, aspires to a united Ireland and believes that there will be a reunited Ireland in time but now is not the time uh, and uh, that it is only complicating this debate on Brexit. Uh, it is also saying that it will not bow to the DUP and it has made that clear mm. whilst Europe stands four square behind the Irish policy of ensuring that there is a backstop in place to make sure that there's a frictionless border on this island. Dan is also warning to be cautious in relation to talking about a united Ireland. He thinks that talk of this is a little bit premature and that it needs to be separate uh, separated from the Brexit deal and it's something maybe to look at down the road but things at this time it's a dangerous route to go. Okay. 
What next, Michael Seamus from Dundalk wants to know. That is what everyone wants mm. to know. <laughs> it's up in the air and you'd wonder how any kind of deal can get through now unless there's no backstop in it. And that's my worry that the EU might give in, mm. says Seamus. Okay. Tony from County Loud text in, I don't know why everyone is pretending to be so worried about last night's vote in the UK. It's quite obvious from several comments after the vote that this is the beginning of the end of Brexit. There's only one way this is going and that's a rerun of the referendum similar to ourselves. So we won't be the only laughing stock of Europe anymore because you can safely bet the result will be the one required. I wonder if Paddy Power is taking bets on how this ends. Okay, well, uh, I'm not sure that that is uh, the case. I'm not sure that there will be a second referendum. I mean, I think there's a, a lot of people who think uh, that there should be. There's an awful lot of people who think that there shouldn't be. Uh, and there's a, a lot of people who believe uh, that there, I- if there is to be a second referendum, uh, that uh, it won't uh, be won uh, and that uh, it'll be rejected and uh, that Brexit will continue to be the will of the British people. Irene listens to the show regularly but doesn't usually phone in but she did today because she feels that the UK MPs are a disgrace. The whole thing is a shambles. They voted against this deal and say they don't want a no deal Brexit. So what do they want? She okay. wonders. All right, I don't know That's the answer, <laughs> but it's good to hear from you, Irene, and thanks for taking the time to ring. Mary says, let the UK crash out of the EU without a deal, Michael. I'm fed up of their antics at this stage. It will be their country in the end that will suffer most. Their elected representatives are a disgrace and history will not be kind to them. Watching them last night, it was looking. it was like looking at a cartoon. Okay, be careful what you wish for, I think, is uh, the best advice for you, Noreen. Uh, Jack from Cullen says, well done to our government sticking with Europe and Europe saying they will back us. Well, they have right, they have backed us right into a corner. Everything we make has to go through England and that will mean big trouble. I think we backed the wrong horse. Hmm. John from... And what was the other horse? <laughs> well, the EU, he thinks, like, hmm. we should... That we should be leaving Europe, yes. I think. I think it's yes. the only other horse that I can think of in yes. the context of that comment, OK? John from RG uh, says that he feels that the EU hasn't done much for the little Irish man for the last 20 years, that the UK has done more for the Irish in the last few years. And he says that he thinks the, e- the UK are 100% right and that Ireland should go with them. Mm. Uh, Jim from Navin says that when the MPs themselves are so at odds with each other, isn't it time to go back to the people? And if they still vote to go, well then, that's the end of it. Okay, well, you know, as I say, a lot of people don't think it's going to be possible to force another referendum and a lot of people think the result will be the same as the last time too. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Half years ago. Paul phoned in yesterday following our discussions on Brexit mm. and says he listens to the show every day, loves the show, but he's a little bit annoyed because he said he's been listening to all the Brexit coverage in all the weeks and months yeah. mm. and that we haven't had a Eurosceptic on. We, we've had nobody pro-Brexit on and he'd love to hear that side of the okay, argument. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I think we often hear from uh, the DUP on uh, the programme. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm not sure... Uh, that that's uh, what would uh, satisfy Paul, but thanks uh, for making that point to us. Um, Mary also got in touch yesterday and says, Michael, wouldn't it be crazy if after all of this, the UK decides not to leave the EU after all? I think Paddy Malone is right. That's the Chamber of Commerce PRO mm-hmm. that we had on, that there will be an extension to Article 50 and hopefully they will then decide to go back to the people and they'll vote no, having seen what a disaster it will all turn out to be. Mm. Well, there may be. And uh, I think uh, that depends on what uh, the British government is saying to the rest of Europe. Uh, the French President Manuel uh, Mac- or uh, Mac- Mr. Macron uh, was very quick to say last night that perhaps uh, there should be uh, uh, an extension to Article 50 uh, and indeed it's not being ruled out uh, by Europe but Europe is saying it doesn't have any proposals it's waiting to hear from the United Kingdom uh, and uh, that the United Kingdom has to map out what it proposes to do in order to bring about a solution to this. Sean phoned in and Sean was just responding to the vote last night and says that there's if if uh, Theresa May if if the vote of no confidence is defeated and she you know that she has to come back with this deal on Monday will there be much of a change in the deal that she comes back with has she much opportunity to change will that not depend on the concessions that the EU will give and if there's still a backstop in it mm. is that going to make any difference yeah well I mean this is the thing she can come back with uh, all the deals in uh, the world uh, but it, it's not a, a deal until both sides agree and there's two sides mm. in this the Irish is just part of one side there's 27 countries on one side Ireland being one of them uh, the European Union is that side the other side is the United Kingdom so if Mrs May has a proposal to make uh, on Monday that won't be a, a deal it'll be a deal if Europe agrees it um, Joanne was also in touch and Joanne says that, Michael, is it that the backstop means that there'll be just free movement of trade and people? Is that what the MEPs are so opposed to? That it, Well, that it would continue as yes, it is. Yes, yes, that there would be uh, an alignment uh, with European uh, regulations and rules in that sense. Yes. Yeah. And she's just wondering, well, if that's the case, she doesn't know why they're so against it. OK, because uh, the United Kingdom is going to leave the customs union uh, and uh, the uh, fact that Northern Ireland would be staying in it uh, would mean uh, that uh, they'd be kind of different jurisdictions different so that Northern Ireland would be part of Europe, part of Ireland, uh, unlike the United Kingdom, unlike Britain, in other words. Michael um, 
Peter from Drogheda also got in touch and this was following the interview yesterday and he says uh, you mentioned that the Enterprise train could be affected hmm. if there's a hard border and he thinks that this would be a huge backward step. He says like would it be that it would be stopped and that people would have to be checked going to going across the border when they're on the train hmm. and he says a lot of people actually commute both ways yeah. to work hmm. and what a hindrance it would be for people. Yeah possibly uh, and I'm not sure what it means to be honest but I, I do know uh, that it's uh, one of uh, the aspects that is being covered in uh, this uh, huge piece of uh, legislation that the government is hoping to bring to the doll and to have voted on possibly by the 14th of March before uh, there is a no deal Brexit if that turns out to be the case. And finally, Michael, we spoke yesterday about, you know, the possibility of if there was a hard Brexit, there could be a shortage of medicines mm. and foods and that type of thing. And listener Angela got in touch to say that um, what concerns her is that there's no uh, actual uh, list of medicines that could be in jeopardy, that there's not actually, they're not being named and she's wondering why this is. Like if the government fears that there could be a shortage, should they not let people know in advance? And that's her worry about it. Well, yeah, there's uh, a number of medications. I don't have that list to hand. Uh, I assume that they are available, but uh, the uh, government is saying not to stockpile, that that will be shored up, uh, whatever the loophole is there, but that there's already uh, 10 to 12 weeks of these medicines uh, in supply uh, and that it would not be a problem that people should not be stocking up on them, as we heard Minister McEntee say a little bit earlier on this morning as well. So no need to worry just yet. All right, Marie, thanks uh, for that and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Uh, we'll continue with uh, Brexit. Uh, Rose Conway Walsh's uh, Sinn Féin leader in uh, the Shannon and uh, Irish representative on the EU Committee of uh, the Regions. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning, Mike. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Sinn Féin is saying that this is making the case for a border poll. Is that right? Well, of course it is. Um, you know, but it is, yes, because we have to let people decide their own future. Um, you know, if we are in a position where there's a no-deal Brexit, there must be a referendum on Irish unity, because that has to allow people to decide. People in the North, in particular, voted um, against Brexit. They voted to stay within the EU uh, there is so much vulnerability and insecurity among, we see it among the business community and among the farming community mm. and many other citizens right across the north. So that it's, it's a natural, I mean, there is provision within the Good Friday Agreement for it. So I suppose it's a natural outrun of there being a, a no-deal Brexit. It's 20 years, I suppose, since Sinn Féin sought Irish unity. And if there was to be a poll tomorrow and it was defeated, it would be another seven years before it would be possible. That's right. That's that's what was worked out within the, the provision. But, I mean, as Irish Republicans, um, obviously we want the whole reason we're here is for reunification uh, of our country. So uh, asking the people what they want at any particular time, as I say, is a, a natural uh, outrun of where we are at the moment. And do you believe it would be defeated? 
Well, it's not for me to believe it or not. I think the question needs to be asked. I don't think anybody can preempt um, what's going to happen. But we do. I thought what makes it different, I suppose, is because you have the business community, you have the Ulster Farmers mm. Union coming out to say that that's not an easy thing for them to do. Um, to say that they wanted to stay within uh, the EU. Uh, so I think there are many different uh, things that are happening uh, that maybe weren't here under another climate before Brexit came onto the onto the scene. So it's not for me to believe it or not, but I always think we should never be afraid of asking the question. And I think uh, what's happening at the moment makes it more important that the question is asked. Uh, and indeed, uh, the 10 DUP MPs would have made a part of of uh, that massive defeat uh, that Theresa May endured last night uh, of uh, the 230 MPs uh, who voted against her. But the DUP is very much in isolation in Northern Ireland in terms of what was being proposed and it would have had uh, the support of uh, farming organisations, community organisations and indeed business organisations on both sides of uh, the divide. But that's predominantly because of this backstory stop thing, which is probably not even necessary. The Irish government says it's hoped it'll never be used. It's absolutely necessary. And I mean, we have to remember that the DUP does not speak for the majority of the people in the North. And that's why Sinn Féin would have worked with the other parties as well and been extremely proactive both in Dublin Mm. uh, and in Brussels around the whole uh, Brexit issue. So they don't speak for everybody there. They did campaign for Brexit. And what's fine, what I find it difficult to understand is why they would campaign for something that is so detrimental uh, to their own electorate. Do you believe a backstop will ever be necessary? Um, it needs to be there. I hope it would never be necessary. Uh, the important thing at the moment is for the Irish government to stand very mm. firm uh, it, the backstop has to be there as an insurance. It's our only legal insurance mm. um, and they have to hold firm on it. So any I, tweaking or any uh, nonsense around, uh, you know, I've heard even in, in the commentary in the last 24 hours, yeah. so almost like, well, this really isn't a British message for the Irish to sort out. And the way to sort that out is by, uh, you know, tweaking the backstop. Well, if you deleted the backstop from the deal, the deal would probably be possible, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, we saw the 230 votes. I don't think it would even be possible, but that cannot be done because we cannot have a hard border um, reintroduced back in this country. I mean, we've had Arlene Foster say yesterday there was never a hard border here. I mean, it's it's crazy, some of the commentary that's uh, coming out, but it needs to be there. Mm. We have an internationally binding agreement in the Good Friday Agreement that needs to be protected. But would we not be able to... insurance policy there is one way of doing that. But would we not be able to make a a trade deal in the next two to four years? I would hope that we would. Mm. would And is is it that we don't trust the British? Well, of course we don't trust the British, Mike. You know, we've never trusted the British. We have very good reason not to trust the British. The British going back many years. And I think for many people now, this is a wake-up call that the British have never had, and the British government, successive British governments, have never had the interests of the Irish people um, in as, as a priority. 
And I think it may, and I suppose watching it all unfold, you know, where there is some surprise that the British somehow don't, you know, mm. would, would protect Irish interests. They will not. The British will protect the British own interests. But I think what's the interesting thing as well is the commentary even Theresa May has said it around the threat to the Union. They're walking themselves into a situation where um, the very thing that they stand mm. for in terms of the of of the union is under threat because of their uh, their behaviours, and we see Scotland coming out again. I heard the deputy mm. uh, uh, minister coming out this morning again and and saying yet they will be looking for um, a referendum on Scottish unity or another referendum on that as well. So okay, you know, it's but case of be careful what you what you wish for. Well, indeed, uh, but we have to protect the interests of Irish citizens, the vulnerability of our small and medium-sized businesses, mm. of our agricultural sector, and many other things. By putting this insurance policy in place, which you say may never be necessary, you hope will never be necessary, and most people would imagine will never be necessary. But in protecting our communities and our small businesses and agriculture and so on, are you sure uh, that you know what you're wishing for or are we running the risk of walking the plank as defiantly as we are by insisting on this backstop? No, we have to insist on the backstop. Without the backstop, we have the reintroduction uh, of a hard border and then we go back at least 20 years. And that can well, not n- not 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 if a, a, a deal is reached on a future relations uh, agreement. So, well, then if it is, we never need to use the backstop. So well, that's exactly. A good situation, but it has to be there, and it's the only legal okay. insurance that we have there at the moment. So, so on, in, uh, on, on insisting on the backstop, uh, well, then we find ourselves in the position where there may not be a withdrawal agreement and the UK may crash out. Uh, and what does that do for our communities and agriculture sector and small businesses? Well, that's why we have to prepare for a hard border as we are now. And that's why the government um, has to um, make sure that things are put in place. And that is things to to um, to support our small uh, and medium-sized enterprises. It's to kneezing uh, off the state rules, many other things. You know, we need employment mm. subsidy schemes. We need the investment in infrastructure, the upgrading of the ports, the investing in the rural and rail network. Now, these are things that should be all done anyway. But do you so believe they're it's not- going to, they're, they're going to be necessary? Do you believe we're looking at a hard border? They're, they're absolutely urgent at this point in day, as, at this point in time. As the hours pass, mm. we are looking more at a hard border now than we were 24 hours ago. So we have to face up to that reality. We cannot depend uh, on the British. They don't know what they want, it mm. seems, at this stage. I'm trying to decipher, as I'm looking at this commentary, what exactly do they want? So there isn't mm. agreement either within the British government, as it is, or within other parties, Indeed, uh, I think within the British mm. people and themselves of what, what exactly they want from this. So you believe so, there won't be a general election? It is difficult to see how it will now because mm. it seems yeah. as well. And again, I mean, that seems contradictory in itself mm-hmm. where you have the massive defeat uh, by 230 votes mm. and yet you have everybody lining up today to express confidence in the person who has made major mistakes mm in, you know, calling the general snap general election in the first instance, her red line issues mm. in relation, relation to the customs union and all of those things. Do, do, do you believe there might be a second referendum 
I'm sorry, do you believe there might be a second referendum or if there is, uh, that uh, the outcome will be the same? There could be a second referendum. And again, it's not for me to uh, predict what the outcome of that would be. But I I think people would have much more information now as to the impact Mm. of Brexit than they had when they saw the NHS and the bus and take back control of your Mm. borders and migration and the things that... Um, it seemed to encourage people to vote for Brexit in the first instance. Do you think that there's a, a prospect of backbenchers coming up with their own deal which would be a- a- agreeable uh, on the European half? Um, it could be, but whether enough of them would or not, uh, I don't know. I mean, mm. we can't really be second-guessing what they're going okay. to do at this stage across the board uh, in Britain, but it's their mess and they need to sort it out. And in the meantime, we need to hold firm, mm. we need to protect citizens right across this island. You don't believe that the backstop can be taken out of the deal. Uh, do you believe uh, that there will be a border poll? I do, yes. Yes. Do you really? There will be a border poll. <laughs> okay. When exactly it will be, I cannot okay. pr- predict. Okay. But I do think, I mean, the provision is there to do it. Okay. It's a natural thing to go back and ask the people. I'm not sure That's anybody other than Sinn Féin believes that, so I'm not sure well, that that will well, happen. Well, I but don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I think many more people across the wider civic society are beginning to look at uh, the reunification of our island mm. and the fact that partition hasn't served this island uh, and will not serve it into the future. So I think it has become pressing okay. for more people. And then we saw the economic reports uh, on it in terms of the affordability and how things uh, might pan out. So they, they, they may pause Article 50, but to do that, they'd have okay. to uh, address one of the other issues that we've been talking about. Uh, and they may also revoke Article 50. They may decide to remain in Europe. Do you think that there's any prospect of that? There is. It is a possibility. It is a possibility that they may do that. But they're looking, if they're looking at a time extension on it, then they're looking at having a, some kind of a clear mm. plan. I don't think the EU, because at the end of the day we're dealing with 27 countries, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think the EU are going to agree to them just having a time extension where this um, debacle is still just going to continue without having a framework of a plan there. But would you say uh, best odds are on uh, no deal Brexit? I wouldn't say best odds, and I sincerely hope that there isn't a no-deal Brexit. But I hope that uh, that the British will see, um, you know, they made their decision, they want to implement Brexit. The deal that was there um, yesterday mm. uh, and the deal that was, was uh, agreed to uh, by the, um, the executive, if you like, was the, the best worst option. Um, or the worst, best option, uh, if you like. It wasn't a great deal, but it was a deal that would protect uh, the rights of of citizens. But the British government cannot become so detached from citizens that that they are completely reckless about it. And I think their behaviour to date has been reckless and it needs to stop and they need to take stock of where they're at. Okay. Thank you for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's Sinn Féin Senator Rose Conway Walsh. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. The Taoiseach ate what he said was a very nice Hereford steak on Monday night, and that makes for the front page of the Irish Independent today. It's a, a nod from page story, I'm sure you'll agree. The headline is Radgar dines out on steak amid beef backlash. This follows comments uh, that uh, the Taoiseach made on 
Monday when he was asked about how he might reduce his carbon footprint and he said that he would eat less meat. He said that as uh, the Taoiseach uh, it's very difficult for him to cut down on things like travel and uh, that he would often use airplanes and have to go to different uh, parts of the world and that sort of thing. But he, he was aware of his carbon footprint and that as a result he tried to eat less meat and he would also cut down on eating meat, Leo Vratker said, for health reasons. There has been a backlash to this as reported in the Irish Independent today and the ICSA has said that the Taoiseach has been reckless in the extreme. Let's find out why. Patrick Kent is President of the ICSA, the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association. Good morning to you Patrick and thanks for joining us. Uh, Were you surprised? You were obviously concerned but were you surprised by what the Taoiseach had to say? Good morning, Michael. Uh, I was actually shocked uh, that the teacher would come into the hall and say what he said, and uh, absolutely without any evidence. And um, I found it shocking. And uh, there's no backup evidence to say that that um, uh, red meat causes cancer. There was a statement made some time back that red meat and processed meat cause cancer, but it's the processed end of the thing that was the problem. Mm. We 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 export a lot of. Um, high-quality beef and lamb from this country, and we're very good producers of it because of our climate here. We can grow grass better than any other crop and um, an abundance of it. And um, as, as grass is not a, a super food for humans, uh, when you put it through an animal, it turns into something really fantastic. And uh, we export that, and it's highly valued around the world. And uh, it's actually uh, known for its, its cancer-reducing qualities. CLAs in, in grass-fed meats are are a huge uh, anti-carcinogen and um, that's been verified whereas what he said isn't. Well, red meat is, I think, uh, by many, and I suppose uh, experts will always differ, but by many as being uh, carcinogenic uh, and indeed, I think recently there's been claims uh, that red meat is as bad as cigarettes. No, 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 no. Totally contrary to the truth. Uh, it's been compared to cigarettes, actually, um, processed meat. That's salamis and, and sausage um, hot dog type meats. That's highly processed using a product called sodium nitrite. That was the identified carcinogen. So it wasn't the actual meat itself. It was the processing process and the chemical used. And now a lot of our processes are not using that chemical. Um, and they're using much less harmful chemicals. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, processed meats are much safer than they used to be as a result of that statement made some time back. But that's out of date. Uh, he needs to go back to uh, his studies and, and find out uh, what is the truth. And, and certainly what he said in the doll was not the truth. Mm, it is hard to digest, though, isn't it? What is hard to digest? Red meat. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's very natural. Uh, grass-fed meat in particular is very, very health-giving. Uh, it's, it's nutrient-dense. Uh, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's life-giving. It's, it's, it's really healthy. Yeah. Well, the problem we have in, in modern society is people consume too much uh, sugars, and uh, sugars are the one that causes the obesity, and uh, we're just drinking, consuming way too much sugars uh, in soft drinks and um, processed foods. Do you think people eat too much red meat? No. No, actually, to the contrary, we're only producing the same amount of beef and lamb as we've ever produced because of, you know, various factors. But we are consuming way, way more. Um, uh, we're producing, uh, worldwide, we're producing the same amount of, of, of um, ruminant meats as has been produced uh, since millennia. But uh, mm. we're producing a lot more poultry, five times as much poultry as we used to produce, and we're producing three times as much uh, pork. 
So um, they're, they're the increase in meat production. But the actual products we're, we're exporting from here have not been um, uh, increased in quantity very much at all. How much red meat is safe to eat? Uh, what would you consider to be a healthy diet uh, that includes red meat? How much red meat? Well, I think uh, as much as you like. As much as you like. In Argentina, mm. you consume beef when it's uh, very, very cheap. Uh, they consume it up to four times. It makes you day, fat, though, doesn't it? I wouldn't recommend that, but uh, as we, you know, it's 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 it, it, uh, something. Certainly, meat once a day is, is what I do myself. And, mm. uh, how how, how much once a day? Um, the equivalent of a steak, possibly. Yeah. Mm. They, they they say half the size of your hand is as much meat as you should have in your plate. Not necessarily so. Not necessarily so. Um, depends on what you're putting with it and and, and uh, how often you're consuming it. So you know, you can consume way way more than that if. Um, if uh, you're not consumers on, on a very regular basis, but uh, certainly... Well, if you don't uh, want to be obese. No, no, there's no, no correlation at all between obesity and uh, red meat consumption. None whatsoever. Really? Absolutely none. Okay. Actually, when you go into a fast food joint, for instance, you get a burger. It's not the burger that causes the obesity, it's the actual soft drink and the fries. So if you change the soft mm. drink for water... What about heart disease? Heart disease, is a, yeah, that's that's related to inflammation mm. and uh, inflammation as a result of too much sugars mainly and the wrong omega balance in the diet. But heart disease from eating red meat? No, no, no. Actually, we're not consuming enough animal fats. We're consuming too much vegetable fats, oils, and they cause inflammation that causes heart disease. Mm, okay, well, a lot of people would think that it makes you obese and it causes heart disease. And Unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there, you know. Yeah, well, what, what about... What, what, what about leaving uh, the planet for our children? Well, um, yeah, there's misinformation also on that. As I said earlier, that we have the same amount of ruminants, well, a very necessary part of the ecosystem. And uh, grass is, um, is, is t- takes a lot of um, carbon from the atmosphere mm. and it takes way more than, than, than uh, you know, the animals give off um, by a factor of many times. And the animal is a necessary part to harvest that grass and to turn it into carbon that goes into the soil. And mm. that the soil is a carbon sink. So uh, very necessary part. Ruminant animals out on pasture are a very necessary part of our, of our ecosystem that, that sequester carbon. Mm. Uh, but it, it's uh, the methane that they belch, isn't it, that causes these yeah, carbon there emissions? Been, there has been a rise in methane uh, since zero seven. There has been mm. an increase in methane, but that's been correlated directly with the increase in fracking, which is... is, is um, is, is is cracking shale rock using a high power, uh, you know, high pressure um, fluids injection, and uh, it gives off that gives off uh, a lot of methane, which is not captured, and and uh, in the atmosphere that that's uh, it, it, it coincides with the increase in fracking is the, is the increase in methane emissions. So it's nothing to do uh, with um, ruminants. Really. Well, look, the Romans are producing a certain amount of meat in them since, since millennia, and uh, it's that same. That hasn't increased. Yeah, but it's adding to all of uh, the other carbon emissions, uh, and uh, we're facing it into a huge crisis. Uh, and, I mean, as people have been hearing, we've uh, a dozen years or something like that uh, before we face uh, close uh, to extinction at this stage. There's a lot of alarmists. Uh, you know, there is certainly an increase in greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide in particular, but that correlates directly with the increase in the burning of fossil fuels. And, uh, and uh, you know, and you have to go down any road and see the amount of cars and, and the amount of car sales lots and use of cars and 
and and the miles that people are doing and the consumption of fossil fuels. Uh, mm. And that, that's you know that's well. That's the, isn't isn't that the point that Taoiseach was making uh, that he flies a lot, he drives a lot uh, as the Prime Minister he has to, it's part of his job and there's little he can do in terms of his carbon footprint in that sense so he's decided to reduce his meat intake in order uh, to uh, bring down the amount of emissions that are uh, because of uh, the cows that we're farming in this country yeah, he's working on misinformation. Actually, um, he's you know if he wants to to reduce his carbon emissions, he can fly on a smaller plane or uh, uh, fly less often, use more internet technology to to communicate his messages and uh, less traveling, and um, and maybe uh, drive a hybrid or electric car or a car with a smaller engine or a mm. smaller car, or, or maybe walk or cycle or whatever. You know, there's there's many many ways people can uh, you know reduce their carbon footprint and. Um, and I'd suggest he look at those instead of uh, reducing his meat consumption, which actually, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a correlation between the CLA content in meat and reducing cancer. So I think uh, it's, he's actually got a missed message there for a trained doctor to have a missed message. Uh, I think it's it's rather sad. Is it cruel to eat meat? Um, no, it's not. Um, and animals, you know, we comply with all the, the actual um, highest level of animal husbandry standards. And, and an animal is... is, is um, Humanely um, taken out of existence, you know, is it cruel to cut grass? If cows could talk, would they say it was cruel to eat meat? Well, if grass could talk, if your lawn could talk, they say the smell of a freshly cut lawn is, is mm. actually the grass uh, responding to being cut. Yeah, yeah but it, it, if you cut grass, uh, it gets stronger. It lives longer. Yeah, well, so the same with the carrot of cattle. If you take out the strongest, then the others thrive better. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, listen, while we have you here, uh, can we talk uh, about uh, the Commons vote uh, yesterday and uh, how concerned you are or not t- this morning? Uh, are, are you optimistic in any sense that this could bring about an end to the ongoing confusion surrounding Brexit? Uh, and uh, do you believe uh, that there is any prospect of a solution this morning? Um, you know, it's not expected. The voters, as um, you know, the no confidence vote is not expected to pass today. So it's back to business as usual. I'd say next week onwards uh, is is uh, Brexit still on track? It probably is. Uh, is it going to you know mean a hard border for Ireland? I hope not. Certainly hope not. Uh, will um, you know Britain and Ireland continue to trade as normal? Uh, it doesn't look. Uh, it looked like there might be impediments, and I certainly wouldn't like to see that happening. I'd like to see, you know, borderless free trade, and mm. uh, I think uh, proximity and and reducing part carbon footprint and everything. Trading with our nearest neighbour makes a lot of sense. Okay, what well, what's your sense of it though? What uh, do you think, or how do you think this will pan out? I think there's a lot of politics being played with it, and uh, I think having too much emphasis on you know the politicking. Uh, Rather than the actual reality, the reality is, you know, um, we have we have our nearest neighbours and, and, and uh, they're very good customers of ours, mm. and we're also good customers of theirs. There's good trade each way, and I think that needs to be unimpeded. Okay, but do you think that uh, this ongoing conundrum uh, will continue, uh, and uh, that Article Fifty will be extended or possibly even revoked? It looks like um, either can happen, either or. It's, it's a 50-50 one at the minute. Uh, if you're a gambling person, it'd be hard to put the money on. But, you know, people need food and they need to eat. And, and, and we trade a lot of food. And um, 
So, I, I, and, you know, people, uh, you know, the, the British population like our food that we produce here and uh, we're good at producing it. And uh, I hope that continues. All right, Patrick, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Patrick Kent, president of the ICSA. That's the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. The British government has uh, suffered uh, the worst defeat ever on record. Not since 1924 has uh, the government in the United Kingdom been humiliated and never to this uh, degree. Back then, uh, the vote was in the region of 160 uh, against the government. Yesterday, as we've been hearing, it was 230 uh, majority against Theresa May and the British government. The eyes to the right, 202. The nose to the left, 432. So the nose have it, the nose have it. Unlock! On a point of, indeed, point of order, the Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the House has spoken and the government will listen. It is clear that the House does not support this deal, but tonight's vote tells us nothing about what it does support. Nothing about how nothing about how or even if it intends to honour the decision the British people took in a referendum Parliament decided to hold. And people, particularly EU citizens who've made their home here, and UK citizens living in the EU, deserve clarity on these questions as soon as possible. There's no good people shouting. There will be an opportunity for other points of order, but the Prime Minister must and will be heard. The Prime Minister. Those whose jobs rely on our trade with the EU need that clarity. So, with your permission, Mr Speaker, I'd like to set out briefly how the Government intends to proceed. First, we need to confirm whether this Government still enjoys the confidence of the House. I believe that it does, but given the scale and importance of tonight's vote, it's right that others have the chance to test that question if they wish to do so. I can therefore confirm that if the official opposition table a confidence motion this evening in the form required by the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act, the Government will make time to debate that motion tomorrow. And if, as happened before Christmas, the official opposition declined to do so, we will, on this occasion, consider making time tomorrow to debate any motion in the form required from the other opposition parties, should they put one forward. Second... Second, if the House confirms its confidence in this Government, I will then hold meetings with my colleagues, our confidence and supply partner, the DUP, and senior parliamentarians from across the House to identify what would be required to secure the backing of the House. The Government will approach these meetings in a constructive spirit, but given... Given the urgent need to make progress, we must focus on ideas that are genuinely negotiable and have sufficient support in this House. Third, if these meetings yield such ideas, the Government will then explore them with the European Union. Mr Speaker, I want to end by offering two reassurances. The first is to those who fear that the Government's strategy is to run down the clock to the 29th of March. That is not our strategy. I've always believed that the best way forward is to leave in an orderly way with a good deal 
and have devoted much of the last two years negotiating such a deal. As you confirmed, Mr Speaker, the amendment to the business motion tabled last week by my right honourable and learned friend, the member for Beaconsfield, is not legally binding, but the Government respects the will of the House. We will therefore make a statement about the way forward and table an amendable motion by Monday. The second reassurance is to the British people who voted to leave the European Union in the referendum two and a half years ago. I became Prime Minister immediately after that referendum. I believe it's my duty to deliver on their instruction, and I intend to do so. Every day that passes without this issue being resolved means more uncertainty, more bitterness and more rancour. The Government has heard what the House has said tonight. But I ask members on all sides of the House to listen to the British people who want this issue settled and to work with the government to do just that. Heated and historic, the ramifications of that vote being felt right across Europe today, here more so than elsewhere. And indeed, we heard Mrs May tell parliamentarians there that all of this will be addressed next week. That's unless the opposition want to test the confidence of the government and assuming that her government survives a confidence motion. The leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn... Thank you, Mr Speaker. The results of tonight's vote is the greatest defeat for a government since the 1920s in this House. This is a catastrophic defeat for this government. After two years of failed negotiations, the House of Commons has delivered its verdict on her Brexit deal, and that verdict is absolutely decisive. She cannot seriously believe that after two years of failure she is capable of negotiating a good deal for the people of this country. The most important issue facing us is that the Government has lost the confidence of this House and this country. I therefore, Mr Speaker, inform you I have now tabled a motion of no confidence in this Government. And I'm pleased... I'm pleased that motion will be debated tomorrow so this House can give its verdict on the sheer incompetence of this government and pass that motion of no confidence in the government. Labour leader Jeremy Corman addressing the House of Commons last night and that vote of confidence as you've been hearing is uh, to take place today but it's expected that Theresa May and her government will survive because she's to get the backing of rebel Tory MPs and indeed the DUP. After the humiliation yesterday this is another one of these ironic Brexit stories because uh, the 230 MPs who voted against Mrs May included the 10 DUP MPs in Westminster. Nigel Dodds is uh, the deputy leader of uh, the DUP and he's been speaking to Michelle Hussein on the Today programme on BBC Radio 4 because the DUP has decided to vote confidence in Mrs May and her government and Michelle Hussein asked Nigel Dodds why this was the case given that they had already voted to cause hardship in Northern Ireland. Well remember what the Prime Minister said she pulled the vote almost five weeks ago to the day and she said I'm going to go back to Brussels and I'm going to get legally binding assurances on the backstop 
What did she deliver? She delivered a letter from Donald Tusk and John Claude Juncker, which didn't contain any legally binding assurances. Right. Well, if the it pro- wasn't possible then, what makes well, you think it would well, be possible the reason, now? The reason it wasn't possible was because, as Simon Coveney, the Irish Foreign Minister, Deputy Prime Minister, told my leader and myself in Belfast last week, the Prime Minister didn't actually ask for the changes. Now, the problem in all of this is that the Prime Minister has believed that she can get something through the House of Commons on her terms without taking on board the concerns that many in her own party, 118 MPs who voted against her last night, and ourselves, on whom she will depend today for the survival of her government. She has ignored our advice, ignored our warnings, and gone ahead with a backstop which would trap okay. the United so Kingdom into survival, arrangements which they can't get out of. If her survival depends on you today, are you saying that unless she tries to get the sorts of things you want, that in a future confidence vote, if there is one, that you would withhold your support at that stage? Well, we will take every vote as it comes and we will judge every vote on its merits depending on the circumstances. As we have seen, a lot can change in 24 hours in British politics today, never mind in weeks ahead. We're dealing with the vote today, which is the confidence, but we will be supporting the government today because we believe that the general election is not in the interest of the country and we certainly believe a Corbyn government at this time is not in the interest of the country either. But the Prime Minister, uh, you know, does need to reach out and to the other parties, yes, and speak to them, but she also needs to do a massive repair job within her own party and she needs to reach out to her confidence supply partners and I hope to meet her later on. That's Nigel Dodd speaking to BBC Radio 4 this morning. Now, before we finish up, let's hear more from you. And Marie, you've uh, some more comments before we finish I have indeed. Up. On Rags, Tony from County Loud says, Theresa May is now going to be able to say, well, I tried everything I could to the Leave voters and Remain voters will be equally happy when the result is reversed. Ollie from Dundalk, bring the UK to their senses, close the channel tunnel. Danny emailed in, dear Michael, will you give it a rest? The backstop is essential. Danny. Okay, thanks Danny. (laughs) Michael, I think it's inevitable, inevitable, says David, that there will be a second referendum on Brexit. Theresa May has done all she can do to get a deal through and I don't think a replacement for Theresa May would make any difference if it came to it that she was replaced. Mm, If anybody would take the job. Exactly, who'd want that one, Michael? Fran, the people of the North are not going to join the South. Nobody in their right mind would join up with a country that dictates to its people. People in Britain vote voted to leave the EU. I hope that their vote is respected. Okay. Have we time for one quick one? No? Could quickly, we, quickly. quickly. Yep. Joe mm-hmm. can't understand these politicians that after two and a half years of talking and still none of the, nothing at the end of it, they are a lame duck, the whole lot of them, as they rat, rattle on about all things like the environment that may happen in 50 years' time that don't happen at all. Okay, Joe, <laughs> thanks for that. Thanks, Marie. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us. That has to be the final word on the programme. Our time has run out. A podcast on LMFM.ie this afternoon. Marie Kearns produced Maggie Maguire Research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie